0: to live with you, to understand your resurrection, to experience your resurrection in our own lives and hearts. God, we celebrate that truth this morning.
1: We pray that you would allow that to wash over us. With your name we pray. Amen. May I have a seat.
0: Man, what a great time of worship this morning, and uh, good to hear you all singing out and love to to worship together. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's celebrate together and turn to John chapter 5. As we get a chance to, uh, look into God's Word together, uh, we're gonna just look into, uh, a new series this morning. We're gonna be kicking this off, and so I want us to read John chapter 5, starting verse 1, and we're gonna read through verse 15, and then I'll kind of explain where we're going with this new teaching series that we're doing. So, uh, in John chapter 5, here's what, uh, what the, the Apostle John writes. He says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Uh, Well, as we begin this new series this morning, there's some things we need to understand. In the same way that we progress through physical life stages... Uh, like not existing at all, to being an infant, being born into this world, uh, and then being a child, and then evo- eventually an adolescent or a young adult, and then a, a, an adult who can become a parent themselves, uh, we kind of see that there's a flow of life. There is a spiritual progression or physical progression and journey through life. And in the same way that there are physical progressions through life and stages of life, that same thing is true in our spiritual journeys. And so what I want to do over the next few weeks is to look at the different life stages of a spiritual journey. Because every single person in the world is on a spiritual journey. And as you're going down that journey, the thing that's, that's always fascinating to me is, is that while it's easy to look at someone and tell if they're a child or a young adult or an, or an adult, uh, it's difficult sometimes to look at people and determine their spiritual condition. And a lot of people, even those who have been Christians for a long time, may not know and understand where they are on their spiritual journey. It may be that you would uh, kind of question this morning, okay, I'm, I'm an adult, I'm in a 37-year-old body, but am I, am I really still a child in my spiritual understanding, my spiritual development? Or have I hit that stage where I'm an adolescent spiritually, I've kind of gotten to that pre-teen, teenage years of my spiritual life, but I still haven't quite matured to the point where I feel like I'm an adult, a parent, someone who's making disciples and reproducing myself into others. And so what we want to do this, through this series is to look at three different things. And today we're going to kick it off. If you're taking notes, you're welcome to just kind of write these things down. But here's the first thing. We want to help identify what spiritual life stage that you're in. And so we want you to help know by the end of this series to be able to say, am I an infant? Am I a child? Am I an adolescent? Am I a young adult? Am I a parent? Where, where do I fall in that life stage? The second thing is this, to learn how to help you navigate to the next stage in your spiritual journey. Like we love infants, there's several of them in the room right now, and I love looking out and seeing little babies, but we would know there was a problem if they stayed little babies for the rest of their life, right? We want them, maybe you don't want them, but they should mature on to the next stage of development, to become children, and then adolescents, and then young adults, and then finally adults. But when we get to the place in our spiritual life, a lot of people don't know how to take that next step from being an infant to being a child to being a young adult. And so we want to help throughout the process of this series to answer some questions to say, how do I navigate to the next step in my spiritual journey? And then number three, discover how to make disciples as you interact with other people who are also on a spiritual journey. See, that's the ultimate goal of the Christian life, is to be able to replicate what God has done in your heart to make disciples yourself of other people, to help people know how to come into faith in Christ And to walk with him on a journey to where they become adults and parents in Christ who can give birth to young uh, Christians in the faith. And so we're going to look through those things. Now in John, John records a story in his gospel of Jesus healing a man who's been an invalid for 38 years. We don't know if he was completely paralyzed or if he just had some physical deformities or what the problem was, but he had been an invalid. And the man was sitting, John tells us, by the sheep gate in Jerusalem by a pool called Bethesda. So Bethesda was a gathering place where physically disabled people, sick people, would come to the pools and they would hang out there. Now, in the text that we read this morning, there are, this is probably the most uh, ancient documents that we're drawing from. And so there are things that got left out of the text that in some of your Bibles might have had a little extra section or portion of the story. Uh, the earliest documents we have on record don't include this little part of the story, but it's important for context to know because some later documents include it to give context. And so here's what we would find uh, in other documents uh, that these physically disabled people sitting beside the pool of Bethesda, here's what John would write or someone wrote and included in John's gospel. It said, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters of the pool. And the first person into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. All right. And so Jesus has asked this man, hey, do you want to get well? And remember, he says, "I, I would love to, but I can't get into the water. And the whole thing when you're going, okay, why do you need to get into the water? Well, John or somebody gives us some more context to say an angel of God occasionally is sent. And he would stir up those waters. And it had healing power. And when someone would move into those waters, they would be healed of their infirmity, healed of their disease. And so that's kind of the context and the backdrop of knowing what's happening. And knowing that context helps us understand the conversation that Jesus has with this man. So if you look again in verse, in verse 5. This is one who had been there, an invalid, for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So you can see this guy's in a predicament. He's an invalid. He can't move. And so when the water is stirred, we don't know how often that would occur. We don't know what the procedure was for that. But occasionally the water would be stirred and the first person into the water would be healed. And this guy says, do I want to get healed? Yeah, I certainly want to get healed. He says, sure, but I can't. No one ever helps me get into the water. By the time I can crawl or whatever it is I have to do to get close, somebody's already been in. Somebody else has already been healed and I don't get that opportunity. Now, some of us might look at this and ask, man, what kind of a question is that for Jesus to ask the guy, right? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Gosh, of course. Like, who wouldn't want to be healed in that condition, right? And so you see this guy and you go, he's got this physical uh, deformity or or imperfection. He's got a problem. He's he's an invalid and, and he's not able to take care of himself. He knows he's got problems. And so when you see that, you go, yeah, anyone who knows they have a physical condition, When asked, do you want to get better, would say, absolutely, I want to get better. Who wouldn't, right? Anyone who would be in that condition would want to get well. And so yet this guy, he knows he's never going to have a full life in the condition that he's in. And so you know if you have a physical condition that it needs attention. Right? And so I was watching the Olympics this week. Anybody hanging out with the Olympics and still watching until like midnight or later every night? And so I'm not sleeping a whole lot right now because the Olympics are on. It's only one time every four years, so you stay up as late as you want to and watch the Olympics, right? And so watching the Olympics, there's a male gymnast who's going to the springboard. Do you remember? Did you see this? And he hits the springboard. A man in the prime of his life, best condition, best shape of his life, he hits the springboard flips like a crazy person. And when he comes down and lands, one of his legs goes completely sideways and he falls to the ground. And he and everybody else watching immediately knew that guy needs help. He has a physical condition that needs attention now. Like as soon as people stop getting sick on the side after watching that, go help that man, right? His leg is going in the different direction that it's designed to go. So when you have a physical condition, when there's something physically wrong with you, you know, I've got a problem, I need help. But the difficult thing for us is, and the way that I want to approach this story and look at some things is, when we think about the spiritual realities of life, we don't often know that we have a spiritual condition, that we need help. And so when we're on a spiritual journey in life, the first stage of every spiritual journey is this. And if you're taking notes, just write this down. The first stage everyone encounters on a spiritual journey is spiritual death. Spiritual death. That's the beginning stage for everyone who's born into this world. It's spiritual death. When we're born, we're alive physically. But there's a problem. We have a death in our soul. And while everybody understands that physical problems require healing, very few people understand that spiritual problems require attention and healing and so when we think about this story you understand that this guy knew he had a physical problem and when he was asked do you want to get well the immediate answer is yes and yet so many people who would have a physical death or spiritual death if you were to say to them do you want to be alive do you want to be well a lot of them would go i don't even know what you're talking about because spiritually dead people often don't know the state that they're actually in And so the Apostle Paul, who's one of the leaders of the early church and a man who wrote a majority, possibly, of the New Testament, he talked about the reality of spiritual death in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Here's what Paul said. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now I want you to pay attention closely to that last phrase that he says. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. See, we were by nature set apart from God, born into sin, born spiritually dead. We're not nurtured toward that. You're not born inherently good. You're not born uh, with your heart right with God and turned toward God. You are born with a nature that is set against God. You're not nurtured against God. You're born naturally set against God and his principles and his ways. And so Paul writes and he says, all of us were dead in our transgressions and our sins. We are by very nature sinners. And in verse one, that's what Paul says. You're by you're dead in your transgressions and sins. And he goes on and says, in the way that you used to live. Now, he's talking to believers in Christ at this point, And he's reminding them, this is what you were, right? So he's talking to people who have already come alive into faith in Christ. And he's reminding them, this is what you were. But everyone is like this. And if you've not come into a faith in Christ, you're still in this condition. You're still dead in your transgressions and your sins. And so he goes on to say, And you are in the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So who's the ruler of the kingdom of the air? Well, that's Satan, right? And so when Paul writes and he says, You were dead in your transgressions and sin. You were set against God by very nature. And you've been a part of the ways of this world, not of the ways of God's kingdom. And because you've been a part of the ways of this world, you are a follower of the kingdom of the spirit of air, the the kingdom of Satan himself. So here's what we need to understand. You're not born really kind of liking God and just kind of naturally toward him, close to him. You are born in direct opposition to God and his ways. You are born into a kingdom that is ruled and dominated by the presence of the spirit of the kingdom of air and darkness. That's Satan. You are naturally, by your very birth, an enemy of Almighty God, and a friend of his enemy, Satan. And so when you think about that, a lot of people have this really difficult time going, oh, but God is this loving, generous, gracious God, and so everybody should be okay with him, and the truth is that we're not, and God tells us that we're not. We're born set apart from him, away from him, in animosity to him, set completely against him in his ways. And Paul says we are disobedient in the way that we live. So when we're born, we have a sin nature. We're all sin sick. But unlike the invalid, who could look at his physical problems and say, do I have a problem? Yes, I do. Do I need help? Yes, I do. A lot of people in our world could not look at themselves and think, I've got a problem. I need help spiritually. That I'm alive on the outside, but I'm dead on the inside. And a lot of people can't make that distinction. And so a lot of people, in fact, they may look at their life and think, you know what? I've got it really good. I've got a great life, I've got a great family, I've got a great job, things are going well for me. What more could I possibly need? And the whole time what they don't understand is that while there is an external life, there's an internal death. Maybe that's where you would find yourself. Maybe you can think back to that stage of your life and say, I remember what it was like to be externally alive but internally dead and not even know it, not even be aware my need. And so that's where we see this. And in fact, let's look back at the story because I think that's where the invalid might have known, hey, I've got an outward problem, but now that I've been healed, man, life's great. And so I want us to go back and look at what happens when Jesus sees this man again. He's got a completely healthy, transformed body. Everything's good again now, right? He's ready to go. Life is his playground. He's got a brand new, healthy body. What else could he possibly need? I think Jesus knew that that could be his mentality, so he searches him back out. So looking back at John chapter 5, starting verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, and he said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, here's what Jesus knew. Just because things look good on the outside, doesn't mean things are good on the inside. Just because you have it externally together doesn't mean that internally you aren't a wreck. Just because life looks like it's your playground doesn't mean that you're not on a highway straight to hell. And so we need to be aware of this, and Jesus is aware of this, and he goes back to the man and he says, look, you think you've got everything together now, your body's physically fine, but you've got a bigger problem. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. You're like, oh my gosh, what's worse than being an invalid for 38 years? What's worse than not being able to take care of yourself? What's, ha- what's worse than having a broken body? And Jesus goes, if you don't stop sinning, something worse is going to happen. What's worse? Jesus knows that as long as the condition of our body is externally fine, but our soul is internally dead, the worse is that when we die physically, And while we're dead spiritually, we'll be separated from God for all of eternity. That we will be separated from him in a place that the Bible says is a literal place of of eternal suffering and torment called hell. And so Jesus goes to the man and says, you've got your body back, but you need to get things in your soul right. You need to make sure you leave a life of sin. That you don't gratify the cravings of your sinful nature. Leave that life behind and turn to a life following after the heart of God. Stop sinning. Something worse may happen. And so Jesus warns all of us. You may have it all together externally, but internally there's a problem you still need to deal with. Internally there's a death that you may not even be aware of that he wants to help us understand today. So if you're kind of in the room and you're thinking this morning, oh my gosh, I think he's talking to me today. I think that there is a good possibility that when he talks about spiritual death, that's me. You're starting to wake up, or maybe you've been awake to your spiritual reality, and you know that physically you're just fine, but spiritually you're in trouble. Something in your spirit right now is telling you that you need help. So let me ask you this question. If you're spiritually dead, if you think right now, this may be me, I may be the one that's outside of a relationship with Christ, here's the first question. How can you tell if this is your spiritual stage in life? How do you know? Because you can convince yourself, no, no, it's okay. I'm actually a pretty good person. I'm okay with God. Things are good with me. How do you know? How do you know if you're spiritually dead? How do you know if there's something missing inside? And how can you tell if that's where you are? Let me give you two primary traits to characterize spiritually dead people. Primary traits that characterize spiritually dead people. Number one is this, that you have an unbelief in Jesus. Spiritually dead people have an unbelief in Jesus. Not like I don't believe Jesus ever lived or that Jesus was a physical person on this planet or maybe even that Jesus is the Son of God. You don't disbelieve in His existence, but you haven't placed your belief, your faith in Him to be the Savior and the King and the Lord of your life. You have an unbelief toward Jesus. The second thing that characterizes a spiritually dead person is rebelliousness toward God. You're rebellious toward God spiritually dead people have placed uh, that have not placed their belief in jesus as lord and savior of their lives are in rebellion to god in john chapter 6 jesus was asked another question and he said uh, a man came up to him and said what must we do to do the works that god requires right so this man comes up and says hey I believe there are works in my heart or works in the world that I need to do to be made right with God. What are the things I need to do? And so many people find themselves there. If I live a good enough life, if I do enough right, if I get on the right track in life, if I do, do, do good things, great things, happy things, I'm going to be made right with God. What do I need to do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answers the man back and he says this. The work of God is this. He's singular. The work. The one thing. The work of God is this. To believe In the one that he sent. Jesus says, you want to know what the works of God are? Well, the work of God is this. It's not even a work. It's not work at all. It's belief. It's faith. You put your faith in the one that God sent, and you will be made right with God. When you get to a point in your life where you'll say, I recognize that there is something in me that's dead, that I am a zombie walking around on this planet physically alive, internally dead. And I need somebody to help me. And the only way that I can get to come to life is if I place my belief, my faith in Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He came to this world to offer me forgiveness of my sins and that I'll be made right with Him. To have unbelief in Jesus as your Savior is to live in rebelliousness toward God. That you're living a rebellious life toward God. Uh, Earlier this morning, we read in Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul wrote this. Let's go back and recap it just a little bit. He said, all of us who lived among them. Who are them? The sin sick. All of us who lived among sin sick, spiritually dead people. All of us lived among them at one time. Here's what sin sick people do. They gratify the cravings of their flesh and follow its desires and its thoughts. And like the rest... We were by nature deserving of wrath. See, when we think about rebellion toward God, rebellion toward God always works itself out in these things. Rebellion toward God always works itself out in gratifying the cravings of your flesh. Rebellion toward God always works itself out by following the desires of your heart, following your thoughts. He says if you want to get back to a place where you come spiritually alive, you become a follower of Jesus Christ, it's that you place your hope, your belief, your faith in Jesus for the salvation of your life. And you start to, to get away from that rebellious attitude, the cravings of your heart, the thoughts of your mind. And you start to go after the cravings in the heart of God, the cravings in the, the, the passions of Jesus Christ. You line yourself up with the one true king. And because you do these things, you'll be spared from that last sentence. you won't have that nature anymore that's deserving of wrath instead you'll be brought into the family of Christ that you'll be given life like you've never known Jesus said I've come that they may have life and that they can have it to the full see the things that we do when when we're spiritually dead and when you start to recognize that you're spiritually dead and you start to see there's something missing in me here's what you're going to start to do Naturally, people would do this in our, in our lostness. We start to try to plug those holes with all kinds of things. Love, work, money, drugs, alcohol, sex. Whatever it is that you think, this will complete me, this will make me feel good. When you're spiritually dead, and when you start looking at the world around you and going, the cravings of the flesh that I desire to fill up that hole, that void that only Jesus can fill, I'll seek out and pursue all kinds of other things. But the truth is, all of those things will leave you even more empty than when you started. And so Jesus knew this. He went to this man and he said, listen, if you will, are going to leave your life of sin, then you just stop sinning or something worse could happen. Stop following the cravings of your, your own flesh, your own lustful thoughts. Stop doing those things or hell could be down the road for you. And for anyone who's spiritually dead this morning to think whatever it is you're trying to fill your life up with, it's all going to leave you empty. But Jesus, the one true God of the universe, the King of kings, the Savior of your life, the one who died in your place to give you redemption, to know him, he can make you full. He can give you life that's above everything. So what's the next step? in the spiritual journey for you. If you're a person this morning that would say, I think you're talking to me. There's spiritual death inside of me. What's your next step to get through the spiritual journey of life? Well, the very first thing you have to do is you've got to repent of your sin. You've got to turn to Christ, leave your life of sin, and follow Him in obedience for the rest of your life. From this day forward, that you would say, I want to place my faith, my trust, my hope in Jesus, and I'm going to follow him as a disciple. That's your next step. If you're spiritually dead this morning, your next step is believe. Your next step is repent. Your next step, as you do those things, will allow you to walk into the phase of spiritual infancy. You've just been born anew. Maybe you've heard that statement before, and that kind of confuses you. You go, what in the world is born again? Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus where he had the same thought. Jesus said, You've got to be, if you want to be in God's kingdom, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus was like, I'm a full grown man. How am I going to be born again? That's a weird concept. I don't want to do that. That's gross. It's awkward. I'm not having that whole thing going on. That's not going to work. How do I be born again? And Jesus goes, Listen, the flesh gives birth to flesh, the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You've already been born of the flesh. Now you need to have your soul come alive. You need to be born a second time. You need to come to a place where you realize there's sin sickness in you. And the only way to have it healed is by turning your life over to the master physician, Jesus. That's your next step. Believe. Repent. And believe. And so what we see is this, that for those of us in the room who are disciples of Jesus, That we would look at our lives and say, I've been following Christ. I know Jesus and I want to follow him. What's our step? What does a spiritually dead person need from a disciple of Jesus? If you're in the room this morning and you're going, I've been a follower of Christ. I know Christ. I love Christ. But I also have spiritually dead friends, family members, neighbors. What does a spiritually dead person need from us, Christians? Here's the next thing on your outline. Spiritually dead people need disciples of Jesus to share the gospel with them. That's what spiritually dead people need. Spiritually dead people need disciples of Jesus who are unashamed to share our faith, what we believe, what we know, with those who are sin sick. That's what a disciple should be doing. That's what the lost world needs. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope you have. And so the last point on the outline is this. As people see your hope, share the good news. As people who are sin sick, who are spiritually dead, as they see your hope, as you live that out in your home, as you live that out in your neighborhood, as you live that out at work, as you live that out at school, students, and people see there's something different about them, they have a hope that I don't have. What's different about them? When people see the hope... Share the good news. Don't be afraid to share what you know about your faith in Jesus Christ. Because here's the reality. Good news that isn't proclaimed is only information. Right? We collect information. We share news. We tell news. News is expressed. It's told. It's shared. Information is collected. If you're a believer in Christ and your goal is to be a sponge that comes to church every Sunday and goes, give me more facts about Jesus so I can absorb it. You're missing out on what the spiritually dead world needs from you. They need you to have knowledge about Jesus and then they need you to share and squeeze out your knowledge so that the water that you've soaked in and absorbed, the good stuff, the fruit of your knowledge of Christ gets poured out to other people. Because knowledge that's just kept, that's information. But when you share it, and that's news. And the world needs to know the good news. There's good news. There's hope for sin-sick people. There's hope for spiritually dead people. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ. So we need to be willing to share that. Uh, There's a movie. I haven't seen the full movie, but I've seen uh, just some clips from it. And there's a great scene in the movie, The Green Mile. I don't know if you've seen that or not. It's not necessarily an advertisement for the movie. But, uh, but the Green Mile, there's a scene in the movie where this incredibly large man has been captured by the police. And he is in the back of an automobile, giant man. He gets out of this vehicle, and as he steps out, the whole car just kind of goes up off the ground. Like his weight has kept it just down, right? And so he gets off, and you immediately notice he's barefoot. There are shackles and chains on his feet. His hands are cuffed together. And he's being transported to a cell that's going to be his death row sentence, where he's going to spend his life. And as he gets out of that car, and he's flanked on all sides by guards. One of the guards that's walking right beside him, who looks diminutive beside him. He's just a miniature guy beside this massive man. But the whole way he's walking this guy toward death row, he's saying, hey, there's a dead man walking here. Everybody look out for the dead man. There's a dead man right here. Dead man walking. And the whole way down this path, he just keeps calling out, Dead man, I got a dead man right here. There's a dead man walking. And the truth is, is that there are people in our world who are physically very comfortable. And yet spiritually, they're completely dead. And just like that scene, they are dead men walking. This morning, I've asked Mark Respeck to come and to share a little bit of his story. Mark is a guy who has had an incredible life transformation, and throughout his uh, his years, he has seen what God's done. But I've asked him to share this morning about this stage in his life, where he would say, I knew and recognized I was spiritually dead, and I needed help. So, Mark, why don't you come share with us?
1: Thanks, Joel. Uh, one thing about <clears throat> when you share your testimony, your life is what it is, and you can't change it. I was uh, raised in Las Vegas As a Catholic, went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, had an uncle that was a priest, an aunt that was a nun. So I was dialed in to the Catholic church. Got married six months out of high school, had my first child six months later, and decided it was a good time to start drinking. And I went off the deep end, and I started partying with my friends, which I'd never done before. And uh, one weekend, there was a comedian that came to Las Vegas to speak and have a show called George Carlin, and at the time he was promoting the seven things you can't say on TV. And I think of the logic of it now: we paid money to go hear a guy talk like we talked all day long, and it's it just because we wanted to hear him say swear words. Well, in the middle of his presentation, he said, "Hey, how about the Pope? Look at the new law he changed last week. If you ate meat on Friday," And you got hit by a bus on Saturday, you went straight to hell. And that grabbed me because I was raised a Catholic. And I started thinking, if God is a loving God, how can he condemn a person for a ham sandwich to go to hell? And this week, we changed the rules. That was part one of how God stimulated my soul. Uh, things didn't get any better. I continued to drink and I decided to go to counseling, which as a Catholic, you go to a Catholic priest. I sat down with this man two or three sessions and about the third session, he goes, when's the last time you went to confession? I'm going, uh, two years, maybe. I don't know. He goes, think it's a good idea to go? Yeah, probably. He said, okay. So I get up out of the chair and he said, where are you going? I said, don't we have to go into the room over here in the church? He goes, no. Don't you have to put your stuff on? And, you know, he says, no. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this guy? He's breaking all the rules. I said, well, what? He said, this is between you and God. And I said, I can't remember the prayer. And he goes, tell God what's on your heart. I'm going, this guy is broken. He's not a priest. He's he's broken all the rules. And it was the first time I ever spoke to God that wasn't a prayer book or a memorized prayer. And I just, and you can't lie at that point. God, I, I probably swore 2,000 times. I mean, you're just going on and on, right? And I'm all done. And the Catholic tradition is you have penance, you've got to pay for that. So I thought, man, I'm going to be burning candles and rosaries, and I'm going to be on my knees for months. And he goes, pulls out a drawer, picks up a paperback book. And he slides it across the desk. And he says, here, I want you to start reading this. And I said, what is this? It had newspaper headlines on it. He goes, it's good news for a modern man. I go, what is this? He says, it's part of the Bible, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. And I go, isn't this for Protestants? And he said, no, it's for everybody. I want you to start reading in the Gospel of John. And little did I know this priest knew what he was talking about. So time went on, uh, had a rocky marriage, separated together, separated together, in the meantime had a couple of kids, um, still no changes. My best buddy comes back, this is over about a two, or three year period, my best buddy comes back from uh, college for a weekend, 4th of July weekend, Jim, let's go out, we need to get out and bust up this town. We want to have tequila sunrises with the sunrise. And the first night didn't work out. Second night, something happened, couldn't work out. Third night, I said, Jim, if I have to drag you out of your dad's house, we're going. And he said, um, I got to tell you something. And that was about eight o'clock, eight thirty. At two o'clock in the morning, he was still talking about this new life that he had that he accepted Christ. And I, I, I had every argument, Jim, we're Catholics. Peter was the first pope. What, what is all this stuff? And he just proceeded to tell me, and as the night wore on, about 2.30 in the morning, I said, Jim, I, said, I feel like somebody's tapping me on my shoulder, and I won't turn around to acknowledge him. And he said, that's Holy Spirit. So I gave in. And we prayed right there, 2.30 in the morning, July 3rd, 1975. Never forget it. That was where my dead man stopped walking. And that's where I found new life. My youngest son uh, is 30, just had a baby three weeks ago. And I've been with him when he had it and watching this little guy. And it just reminded me of when he's born, he comes out, and it's just, you know, the hands. And then watching him focus, his little eyes, you know, they're just, what is that? What is that? And that's where I was that night. Um, Again, I was separated at the time. I was living in a little cottage. I went home, and I lay down in bed, and it was like I could not close my eyes. I was blinking. I'm going, what happened? What happened? What happened? just want to finish it with, over the next two weeks, um, my potty mouth disappeared. My desire to drink was gone. I hadn't had a beer or anything in two weeks. And I realized something really happened in my life. And that dead man was alive. And if you feel like that you're still walking around as a dead person, this would be a great time to change that. Thanks for the opportunity, Joel.
0: You got to tell Mark thank you for sharing his story. And I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to come back next week because next week you're going to hear about Mark's next step in his spiritual journey into being an infant in Christ. What did that look like? We're going to explore that stage of, of life. But here's what I want us to do as we begin to close up our time together this morning. I just want to ask you, as we sing this last song together. Instead of jumping right in and and singing with the band, I want to ask you to do some things where you just take a few minutes and and reflect. Uh, Two things that I would encourage you to do. Number one, as you reflect as we sing this last song, and all the songs we've been singing today have been about spiritual life and coming to life and being found in Christ. And, And maybe you're in the room today and you would say, you know what, I think I'm like Mark. I think I'm probably not alive inside. I've got a dead man inside of me. This may be the moment. That as we sing, you reflect, that you feel God tugging on your heart. Mark said it was like having somebody tap him on the shoulder. I know when I came to faith in Christ, it was like my heart was beating out of my chest. So maybe you're somewhere in that ballpark this morning. You would just say, you know what I need to do? I need to just repent of my sins. I need to believe in God and put my faith and my trust in Jesus as Savior. Today can be your day today could be your time that you come into faith in Christ. One of the pastors we read earlier said that we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised Him from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we'll be saved. So here's what I would ask you to do this morning. If that belief in your heart verses forth this morning, find one of us. Find me after the service. Find one of our elders, one of our staff. Just tell us. Confess with your mouth this morning. I believe in Jesus. And today's my day to walk into that relationship. I've come alive today. The second thing I would ask you to do, if you're a follower of Christ, you already have places to believe in Jesus. Here's what I would ask you to do. As we think, think through and pray for those people in your life that you know are not alive right Pray for your family members. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for the people you go to school with that you know are outside of a relationship with Christ and they need life. And we're going to join together and we're going to sing. So let's just reflect on that right now.